0: Digicom weekly growth marketing podcast.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Digicom's growth marketing podcast. I'm very excited to have Afshan Dosani on our podcast today. Afshan has worn many, many hats across multiple businesses. She specializes in growth marketing. She is the head of growth at Kindra, uh, currently in previously was the head of growth at Getaway and also led a lot of marketing efforts at Fab. Afshan, thanks for jumping on the show with us today. No problem. I would love to jump in on your background.
0: Sure. So I went to NYU. I studied politics. I was all about international human rights. I had no intention of going into growth. To appease my parents, I was like, let's go ahead and get a business degree while we're at it. And I remember I took a marketing 101 class and was like, this is the most fun I've had this entire time. Like, what is this? This is so interesting. The creativity, the strategy, the brand building. I remember just absolutely loving it. And that's how I ended up getting my first internship at a startup and it just completely snowballed from there.
1: Which startup did you, you know, intern at? I I know experience uh, ranges, you know, through multiple different verticals. And, and companies, but if you could tell us a little bit more about the startup.
0: Yeah, I started off at a at a place called Fab. It was a billion dollar unicorn that went bust, and I was lucky enough to come during that like bust period, which I know sounds crazy, but you learn a lot about how an organization works what pain points are, a lot of what not to do when month over month, everything's in the red and there's very little that you can do about it. I came on during right before they had been acquired by an international conglomerate. And I was the social media person. I was the PR support person, the samples person. (laughs) I was doing all of the marketing coordinator things. And I very quickly learned that's not what I love. I was really happy to get a door into the world of marketing and fabs really interesting because they sold across so many different verticals so i very quickly learned to see how 3d printers were marketed and art and home decor and adult products and furniture and really any accessories anything and everything you can imagine they work with suppliers really interesting vendors with great stories to really elevate their brand so you in the process learn how to very quickly launch, whether it was a scrappy MVP launch or all hands on deck, all resources on deck to really bring a product to life. They had a massive, massive audience just through the years that they had gone through their unicorn status boom. And that was really exciting. And there was really strong brand identity at that point as well, which is really great to see. You know, post-acquisition things didn't stay so hot. So very quickly, there was a lot of volatility on the team, layoffs, people leaving. And I very quickly became a one woman, marketing show there and so a day in my life just a few years and i had gone from obviously intern to working full-time because i just loved the team and after just learning from everyone that had been there. And after all the volatility, I found myself sending emails out daily to an audience of a million and a half people to running paid with an agency, then running affiliate, running PR partnerships, really at UX, all things that you can imagine I could dabble in. It was kind of like a dream come true because I got to really go, ha- go Get like the inside scoop on how these channels work, collaborate with the entire company to make that happen and external partners, and also learn more about like the financial side of things, getting really into the numbers. When I first started off as an intern, my numbers, the KPIs that I was reporting on were very different. Then what I ended up focusing on and I realized in that process was that that was what I really loved, like understanding business needs, seeing how the lovers that I'm pulling can really make a difference, the testing that you can go through. And like I said, when a company is in the red, no one's really going to say no to the things that you want to test because you don't have a lot to lose anyways. So it was the best place for me to have flexibility to just go ham and have fun. And I mean, obviously the company didn't really make it, but I became in that process a jack of all trades, which is really exciting.
1: I think uh, you know, whenever there is chaos, there is so much you can learn during chaos. And I think even just speaking, you know, a little bit from like my, my career, it's anytime I've been anywhere where it's been absolute chaotic and if you find that inner like you know person to just be calm through it and look through it all the opportunity that's available for you to learn and test and grow it really like catapults your you know your career and and like pushes you forward i i can i can say that very much um for myself with you know some of the places where i've worked and just what what comes out of it after after fab um You know, and you you created like and learned all and developed all of these different skill sets, right? And eventually you rose to head of growth and we met while you were head of growth at at Getaway. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and what does being a head of growth mean?
0: Yeah, so Getaway was really incredible. I felt so lucky that I could come to this team where I'm like, my track record (laughs) Isn't great from my first startup, but I'm bringing this entire skill set. Did I mention I'm really cheap and I have a big, you know, chip on my shoulder because now I desperately need to succeed and I will do whatever it takes. And I think for them that was good enough, and they saw the passion that I was bringing, so they brought me on as their first marketing hire, which was incredible. I don't think I could have succeeded in that role without a really strong VP that I reported to, who really understood the balance of brand and growth and was my biggest advocate with the team and help me succeed and it was incredible so i was able to build out a, an amazing team to focus on all things email marketing email sms partnerships influencer obviously paid which was huge we were able to build out a really strong pricing strategy that actually became like an hps case study by the time i left because we went from like flat pricing every day to an incredibly dynamic model that We explored a lot of hypotheses during COVID of understanding supply and demand that became quite contentious. But it was absolutely incredible. I would say that was one of the first places where I learned how collaborative growth can be. You know, it's not just like you're stuck in a marketing function; you just work with a marketing team and that's it. You're deeply involved with finance. You're deeply involved with CX. With finance, you're thinking about you know aligning on revenue, aligning on profitability, making sure you're aligned on your projections and staying in close touch as you think about what levers to pull for the health of the business. With CX, for example, we work very closely on making sure that our retention efforts were really strong, taking insights for why people aren't purchasing, what you know, points of friction that we, how we can make sure people come back two, three, up to 10, 20 times and building a strong experience there. And also in my case, advocating for their needs. If like the CX team was just really swamped, how can I help fight for them as a case for like having better customer experience, therefore having more revenue. Same with the tech team, we had a completely custom site and back end, making sure that we were able to advocate for growth needs was really important. I remember when I came in, I think the first thing I put together was like a 20 page breakdown of why the UX just needed a massive overall. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the team was like, who is this crazy person? <laughs> Um, but it was awesome being able to push a lot of those needs forward and seeing very clear results. So, and even with the dev team and by dev, I mean like real estate development, that was really cool because the areas that they focused on acquiring properties and how, how much effort they put into landscaping and the experience and activities and all of those things directly tied into my customer experience. So that was just incredible.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, during also that that time, like, uh, getaway saw a lot of expansion. So like chaotic in a different manner, right? Like maybe not Things going south, but things going north, and using all of the resources you possibly have to to keep growing. And again, I think for you, it's like you're you know every time we've worked together, you're part of like each each decision across the business, whether it's like developing properties or in getting new inventory, right? You're always like very plugged into the businesses you're working with, which is like absolutely fascinating to me because they're you know it's always like problem solving for a new and finding new solutions so being like very solution oriented is what I enjoy about working together and trying to find new avenues to to scale
0: yeah I mean and I guess on that note getaway is one of the first places where I learned that a no doesn't really mean no it just means like make a better case yeah and so <laughs> I've taken that with me throughout my career <laughs> And that's kind of how a lot of my work became so collaborative is because they would see like some people would see very clear opportunity for their role with like, oh, I asked. There's no budget. So I guess I'll deal. And I'm like, there's always budget. You just didn't make the right case. Let's figure out how we can make a stronger case. I actually think there's an impact to the consumer experience. So let's figure this out. And I almost always ended up finding a solution that You know the team just assumed didn't exist before so i thought that was fantastic and something i've definitely carried with me because in growth if you take a passive role you're inherently setting the team and the organization up for failure because you have to be the biggest advocate for your needs
1: yeah absolutely and i think if you can talk a little bit about you know some of the other startups that you've worked with and I guess just chat about, you know, advocating for specific needs for the business to like help drive growth, right? There are so many different things each business inherently needs, but again, resources are limited. So, you know, what does what does that look like?
0: Yeah. So the getaway example is interesting because I had joined right after a $15 million Series A. And... That was a very different resource snapshot versus the next startup I came on to. I was the first hire, just going a little earlier because I'm a masochist. And you know, that was a seed stage startup. There's not a lot of funding. and once again, being very collaborative, like some of the decisions that you have to make are really challenging. So Kendra, women's health and wellness, focus on all things, menopause, emphasis on sexual wellness. I think we had a lot of challenges figuring out product market fit and being able to advocate for that through what we were learning on paid. And even as we think, I'll give you a classic example, LTV. It's something that's like always top of mind every investor asks about you have to make sure you're optimizing towards that and something like a huge part of that beyond just like cac and driving repeat purchases is your margin and margin of course there's levers that i'm pulling what's my discounting strategy what's my pricing strategy how am i bundling how am i upselling but also product costs and so one of like like a big case that i had to make early on was like are we actually getting the best pricing on our products are there ways that we can streamline operations here can i help fight for different you know, going past the MOQ because it'll actually have a significant impact, or even a step further, which is, you know, talk about challenges. Should can I make a case for reformulating the product? Because I know that's going to be a significant chunk of change, especially for a seed stage startup. But what data qualitative, quantitative, can I pull to justify this? And we actually were able to make that case here to say like there's enough people that like this, but there are enough now what we've seen of edge cases that we can if if we're able to Make the formula work for a broader range of women. We're going to have we're going to have enough gains from a retention standpoint that it would actually make a lot of sense, and that's currently what's in the works right now, which is really exciting. So, yeah, de- definitely a lot of challenges to overcome across the board
1: yeah and I think uh you know like often I'm having this conversation of like what is your margin, what does profitability look like in twenty twenty three more than you know the I would say like the last eight years, nine years, profitability has been the entire discussion point and and essentially for for you know our listeners, it's if your cost of goods is 50% of MSRP, you break even at a two row as just like super, you know, simple, like math for the folks. And essentially, like if you're at like 20 and 30% at a two row as you know, you're you're making some some money, maybe not a ton, but you've made money on that first order, right? And so just understanding like the math behind that is super, super important. And that's a discussion I'm I'm having a lot more and more and more, you know, and then there's also like a, a total business strategy, right? And we, we talk a lot uh, about total business where it's um, like brands in their more nascent stage might not have a fully built email program or an SMF program or have a lot of uh, CRO you know kind of testing going on and paid is the the biggest driver and then eventually it's like cool paid's gotten us here we need to build out email and we need to build out all of these other channels which you've set up right so like what does that journey kind of look like and and you know what is that like impact for for brands and why is it important
0: yeah you know what's funny is like of course, there's a channel mix, but you also have to have like really strong brand building for stickiness across these channels. So like end of fab days, my retention was just like not great because there wasn't a real reason to pick the like fab over every other brand when you're a marketplace and you don't have a lot of strong brand affinity because you're not really investing in brand building efforts versus getaway. That was my first experience where it was like such a strong brand, such incredible affinity where people just so deeply connected to the need of balance and nature and time off and resetting and taking ownership over your time again, you know, discovering more of who you are and rebuilding your relationships. Those are really powerful things. And so that set up a a cross channel efforts up for success in a pretty meaningful way. On the paid dependency once again i was very lucky there to have a team where like there wasn't a lot of room for that because there was an extreme need for efficiencies to profitably scale a business like that so we had pretty aggressive goals from day one we knew that we had to take an email list that was you know 20 30 000 people and take it to a million by the time i left that takes really really aggressive work and we had to make sure that we were pairing that with of course the paid efforts, but equally prioritizing partnerships and a profitable influencer strategy and a lot of affiliate testing to make sure that we could stabilize our CAC because it's really, really difficult to put all of the pressure on paid, especially when you have products that require a lot of education. You just can't pay. It has to be part of the one-two punch that can either like drive that initial interest or like, you know, help seal the deal. But to put everything on paid, you know, I sometimes have to go through that learning myself a few times where then you, you see CAC creeping up and you realize that, you need to, you don't want to just diversify for diversifying sake, but there's a lot of essential things that you need to have down before you put significant effort into testing paid, which is like the channels that I just mentioned, like your ownable channels, your low lift channels, and the right people behind them as well. For like influencer, for example, or partnerships, it's easy to invest in a lot of shitty partnerships that are like, okay, well, we did a social giveaway together, like, isn't that enough? And it's like, not really not if you think about the KPIs that you're leveling up to, are they informed on the KPIs that they need to level up to? Do they have like very clear goals? That's why these channels, which have you know, I guess prior used to be within a brand world now are also falling within growth. So like owning a lot of that, those like partnerships and influencers and making sure that you're taking an efficient approach to it, but then also tying that into paid, you can't have it standalone, which is why it also fits well into growth influencers within brand, you pay them 10 grand, you get a few posts and you're like, cool, that did something influencers within growth, you're testing 20 different micro and nano to see what actually works then you're running whitelisting or, you know, co-promoted through paid, seeing what drives the most engagement, doing a lot of testing, a lot of hook testing through your briefs. And then suddenly you're able to justify the right types of investment for creators that are setting paid and organic up for success. So definitely try to take like a multifaceted approach throughout that.
1: That's uh, amazing uh, advice. Thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, What are some of your favorite parts about, you know, brand building? I know we've spoken about many different aspects of what you're doing as a head of growth, but like, what are things that you just love, you know, and if someone is looking to go down this like path of being a head of growth, VP of marketing, like what are things that they should be looking forward to?
0: So many things. So... One of my favorite things is just the creativity that comes with this role. I think there can be an assumption that it's like the brand roles have a lot of creativity. Growth is much more technical. And of course, there's a technical, significant technical aspect to growth, but it does require fresh perspective all the time. So I'll give you some examples like with Fab, even from my earliest days. One of the issues was that the prior merchandising team had bought so much inventory. Actually, I'll take a step back. The model was drop ship you're working with small suppliers. And that's really challenging because when you're doing a flash sale model with these small suppliers, suddenly you can't ship inventory for months at a time. Everything's delayed. It's a bad customer experience. They're like, great, let's shift this. Let's start buying a bunch of inventory up front for these sales and for our merchandising efforts, whatever. And a lot of tests didn't go so well. And then suddenly they were sitting on millions and millions of dollars worth of inventory that just wasn't selling. And at my time there, some of the biggest wins were just moving through that because it's not just the cost of the product, it's the cost for holding on to it. No matter how much I did discounts, I did every affiliate, coupon, brads, deals, everything you could think of to just move the inventory. And it wasn't budging at some point. I was like, I can't go deeper than 70% off this. like, I'm not going to make any money on this. Could go to liquidators and making pennies on the dollar. And then I was like, "Okay, let's just try something really crazy. Let's pack these products up into something that we'll call it a surprise box. You have no idea what you're getting. You just know you're spending a hundred bucks. You're getting two hundred dollars worth of goods. We'll do a little campaign behind it. Be really scrappy, and we'll just see if it sells. And at least move through all the
1: inventory." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
0: amazing. Obviously, we, you know, we tried a few different price points. We had like a $200 box and the $50 box and all of these things. And just by giving it a little creative and, you know, brand building love, like that was so shocking where I was like, I didn't even think about doing that before or like, you know. I'll give you another fab example. We sold products under every vertical you can imagine. And I remember one of our partners that we had brought on, Mystery Vibe, was an adult toy product. We hadn't really been pushing that category for a while, even more focused on like the tech and accessories and things like that. We sent out a launch email and it was a huge success where I was like, oh my God, this is our best revenue day in a very long time. So I was able to make a case to be like, let's just lean more into the category. Let's do a little photo shoot. Let's make a new landing page. Let's bring in like focus on more vendors. The margins are awesome. And it ended up becoming like 30% of the business by the time I left when I started on that vertical is 3%. So like really cool things like that, where you can just take these data nuggets, get creative, try different things out and know that there's not a lot of pressure to make everything a win. One of the biggest pieces of advice that I got was like, just know off the bat, half of what you do is going to fail. And so with that in mind, (laughs) you're better off focusing on you know tests that make a lot of sense obviously you don't want to just like take a spaghetti approach but come in with clear hypotheses don't assume that everything's going to be a win and just like go for it and have fun and make sure that the team's on board and i think that has been really helpful as i turn through things like this because for every winner surprise box and adult category test i have equal amounts of like that was a failure And it's all about like learning, right? And like
1: having this like test and learn, you know, like Eric Reese, lean startup, like just scrappy approach. And in, in our day to day, like it's very apparent that's like how we think and like approach things. But I think there, you know, there's a lot of other business owners or startups, um, or people looking to build their you know first businesses where that's not the framework, like failure is the enemy and it's just like well that's not true you can learn so much just by what went not your way or maybe there's an accident in the lab where you're like I don't think this is this is going to win and somehow it just takes off and that changes your your entire business right and it's like very much like ingrained in growth where it's test learn and as long as you're always coming out with your hypotheses and then what you learned from that test. And did you hit KPIs or not and what you can improve on next time? That is extremely, extremely, extremely important. And, you know, I very much like echo that sentiment. Um, it's very much how I think. And, you know, it, it's I, I know it's how you think. And <laughs> that's why we work really well together. So uh, you got advice, you know, uh, about building brands. What is a piece of advice you can give to folks listening?
0: Sometimes I feel like when you're in a growth lead position, you're not hitting your numbers. Things can be a little scary. It's hard to not take it personally sometimes. And sometimes you find yourself wanting to just try out all the things and like diversify. like Facebook's struggling. Let me bring on these like five new channels and this and that. And like, being mindful that you're not like diversifying for the sake of diversifying, but like actually taking a strategic approach. Like, I guess my, my piece of advice is like when your programs aren't working, when AdWords is really volatile and Facebook's volatile, when you're not hitting your revenue, like sometimes that's some, I've seen that to be a moment where a lot of wrong calls are made because you're just like, you just go into like, let me just try to do anything to fix it versus like, let's take a step back and be like, is the right product market fit here? Why is the channel really like not working? Is it that Facebook's volatile or is it that our creative just sucks? I had to have a conversation with a mentor on that where I'm like, oh man, like I was 14, like <laughs> things are just so tough. And you know, this woman also runs an ad agency and she got on a call with me and she was like, it's not Facebook, it's you. <laughs> I was like, okay damn it. (laughs) Let's focus on more creative testing before I spend money. And you have to put significant investment into like cross channel testing to make sure you're really getting quality insight. So it's really helped me to take a step back or with other moments when I'm just like, why is like the CAC for you know, give the Kindred example, the CAC for some of our products was just really, really high. And we had done a lot of creative testing and landing page testing, and it just wasn't doing well. And then we had to take a step back and be like, what's the product market fit here? Like, what are we really doing? What makes the most sense for the business? And once I stopped trying to push certain products so hard, and I leaned into what the data was showing, we had actually give a very clear pathway for Kindred to become a like, sexual wellness and health and wellness brand versus trying to solve for like every symptom of menopause under the moon. And that was incredible for us. It opened up a lot of insights. It gave us a lot of clarity on our, on our product roadmap. It helped us over half our CAC in the process. So I feel like sometimes there can be a instinct to go really tactical and just try a bunch of different things versus zooming out to be like, strategically are we aligned here? Are we really maximizing the channels as they are? And that's a hard step to take sometimes. when there's a lot of pressure, you know, no CEOs like that's okay. Like try again next month. We'll see what happens. You know, you have to start creating an action plan very quickly. And so being able to stay calm in those moments and not feel like you need to run yourself to the ground. really helpful.
1: That is amazing advice. <laughs> yeah, I echo that. Um and I understand all of that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, being like the the reflective part like in asking that tough question is not easy, right? And getting like feedback on on yourself where it's like, "Hey, is this working or not?" and it's just, yeah, that is uh, amazing, you know, advice for for everybody and like so many different like lenses as as well you know that can be applied so thank you couple more uh, questions uh for you what's one question you wish I asked you um that I didn't and how would you answer it?
0: you know I think the one that I would have harped on it was like the pitfalls of being in growth and we kind of touched on that but I think I can elaborate that on like a bit more so I think. From what I've seen throughout my startup experience and what I've seen with friends, I think there's a question of like, how are you productively using your time in a growth lead position there's a lot of pitfalls with that you're managing a team that has to have incredibly high output and sometimes you can waste a lot of time and on just management in a way that's like not as efficient there's the whole burnout question when you're responsible for revenue and the broader health of a business it's really difficult to maintain balance and health and those are things that you also can't take for granted like a something that you need to pretty early on find a way to manage because otherwise you'll just get consumed and you won't be able to find the joy that you would be able to in a position like this. And then we kind of touched on this as well, but taking a passive approach and growth, being like, oh, they said no to the budget. Oh, they said, now it's not the right time to test this thing. Or like, oh, I got some pushback on this like cross. Post- team initiative, maybe I'll just try again later, like being able to have a clear why finding like the people that will be your advocates and pushing for that. So that way, you don't just take the L on everything is really, really important. And being a little stubborn, and like advocating for your team and your channels is essential. So all that ties back into like, taking care of your mental and physical health, making sure that you're prioritizing the right things. The other thing in growth is that like, you have a never ending to do list, some of it's just bullshit little things that you have to get out of the way. Some of it's broader questions that you have to think about, strategies that you have to implement, And I think there's a bit of a productivity trap that can happen when your to-do list is that long that you're technically checking off things from the list, but they're not the most important things to check off. But when you feel like you're scrambling or you're overwhelmed, it's easy to just focus on the little things that make you feel like you're productive versus the bigger swing things that might take a lot longer, but have a much bigger impact or are just the bigger risks to be taking. And when you're in a leadership role, that's something that you have to push yourself on constantly because it's so much easier to just get into the weeds. So I think that's something that I try to remind myself too.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Where can our listeners find you?
0: Uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. The name's Afshan Dosani. Feel free to shoot me a message. Happy to have a conversation. Amazing. Thank you. No problem.